0: to As Told Here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As Told Here brings community media to where you are. Talks.
1: This is Bruce Conroy, and we have Ben Martin from 350.org and Dan McInerney from the uh, Electrician's Union. Uh, Local 90, and we're going to talk tonight about renewable energy
0: and how it has an effect on both conservation, uh, the move towards renewable energy, and how union labor, union construction trades, can trans- transition from nuclear and gas plant construction and maintenance to maintaining and building renewable energy sites. So we're going to start with the first one, which is a law that I know didn't pass. I want to know the issues with the current standards for solar panel installation.
1: Right now, uh, there You're the electrician. A, an there. exemption from the licensing that will allow people to do the installation of the racking, which is the um, stands that the uh, solar panels go on, and um, the actual installation of the panels. We fought pretty hard to try to fight that back because we felt that... Um, well, as soon as you take the panel out of the box, it's creating electricity. It should be installed by a licensed electrician. Unfortunately, the uh, legislation didn't see it that way. Uh, I believe their reasoning was they didn't want it to be licensed because they were afraid it was going to be too too expensive. And if you remember back in the 70s when they first started with solar and it was licensed and it was too expensive to see any return on your investment, so it kind of died. And that's the reasoning behind their thought process for the exemption from licensing. But think of it this way: we're starting to see a lot of solar panels go on top of schools, go on top of uh, municipal buildings, your homes. Do you really want somebody that's not licensed doing that work?
2: I wouldn't. I would agree with that. Mostly, it's like they put these regulations in for a reason. That you know, and the licensing standards are there so that we can get the best work possible and that we can, you know, employ people in the best way possible. Um, You know, 350 Connecticut is certainly, like, looking at renewable energy, not just for dealing with climate change, but also because it creates a better economy. And if you're importing, like, stuff from out-of-state and getting out-of-state workers to do that, then that's not really helping our state in here. So it's, it's, it's all about having an equal economy and building a better society through renewable energy and not, doing in a way that makes outside interests um, more money than the Connecticut State. So. I
1: agree. Makes total sense. And they should be good-paying jobs.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely definitely. definitely, definitely fair-pay jobs. I mean, and the, the cost of the technology has gotten so low that that's certainly possible. Um, the, it's, it's not a matter of you have to pay people less so you can afford this really expensive thing. They're, they're very competitive. They, most, new energy, most new energy projects now that are approved are renewable because they're cheaper to build than the polluting coal and oil and gas. So it's not, it's not a question of whether we can pay them. It's just a question of having the right regulations in effect that make sure that we hire union people to build the energy society that's um, going to make uh, energy in the people's hands versus in the hands of a large corporation.
0: How would an increase in the wind, hydro, hydro, and solar construction? What would it mean to you, your union, your brothers and sisters in the union?
1: Well, it's obviously a, a great opportunity to put people to work. Um, we've been in the forefront of that for our training. We train all our own apprentices. Um, we have our own training facilities, each local uh, in Connecticut. Uh, has their own training facilities that trains their apprentices, and part of their training program is um, both wind uh, and uh, solar energy.
0: So that's almost the same question for you. So (laughs) what would an increase in renewables mean to you? After all the work, I know all the hard work that you and other groups like you have done. You have a good movement and it moves along. And I know it's frustrating here in Connecticut with 4%. What would a reasonable goal for the next five to ten years, be for even if you give me a percentage or a replacement of a facility,
2: stuff something. Well, so saying what we're going to do in the next five to ten years is uh, we like to deal in how much we're going to increase per year, because um, the there's currently legislation that would increase what they call the RPS, the Renewable Portfolio Standard, of saying how much utilities have of how much of utilities have to use renewable energy. And the percentage is they were working to get up to 30% or something. Now they're advocating 45, and that's the Governor's Council on Climate Change called the GC3, which has public input, and there's a lot of public insert that says we can do better than this, and so they raised it up to 45, and there's a law, I believe it's SB7 or SB9, that is saying, um, you know, we're, we want to set the standard at 45 by 2035. And that's better than what we were doing. It's not good enough um, because scientifically, if we're going to deal with climate change, we need to stop burning fossil fuels in the next five to 10 years. Um, now, that's it's a lot of work to do that um, because when people say it's complicated. I, I say it's no, it's simple. It's just hard because, you know, there's we have to replace the plants that we have that are currently polluting and we have to, you know, build new ones. And we also have to remake the energy grid. So the energy grid right now is you have a central power plant that sends out power and everybody pays in. What the new society would look like is you have a bunch of smaller, smaller energy producing station, whether it's somebody's home, it's a school, like you said, or like even landfills, like they're putting solar panels on landfills now, which is great because no one, no one's using that land for anything. We can produce energy there and the windmills that are going up offshore and stuff like that. It's just a matter of pulling that power from different places and putting it places where it needs to be. So it's a distributed energy system. As far as a reasonable goal for the next five to 10 years, I would say we need to increase on the, on the method of 3% per year um, at least. Those percentages add up and basically like, start to multiply as you go down. Because so we sh- what we should be shooting for is 100% by 2035 or 2040, 100% renewable energy. And we have the technology to do it, we just need the policies and the political will to do it. If you shoot for that, what it means is a little work up front and then it just starts a snowball rolling where everything starts getting replaced really fast. So once you get the initial policies into effect, then it just becomes automatic that people, when you want to build a power plant, it's going to be renewable because you have the policies to do that.
1: So you're looking at solar, say, more at at the user's end? Um, like a installation on roofs, where at the at the point of use, right. or more like solar farms, or a combination of both. And in what kind of? How do you see that actually manifesting to? Reach it's definitely homes? going to
2: be a combination of both. One model is the Solutions Project, mm-hmm. um, which you can find at solutionsproject.org. Mark Jacobson is a Stanford professor. He had a team of him and students and other professors work out how every state can go 100 percent renewable energy the United States. And then after that, they've uh, developed a model for countries. And it's all based on wind, what he calls wind, water, and solar. Uh, wind turbines, uh, solar panels, what they call run of the river for, for uh, water power, not the large dams that were built in the 70s and stuff like that. So that model shows the different percentages that can happen there. It's definitely a mix, because like we say, you're going to have the large things that we can do on places like landfills. Um, it's gonna be a lot of people's homes where they're putting energy back into the grid that they're not using, um, or when they're not home, if they go to Florida for the winter, the solar panels still work, things like that. It's definitely a mix, and there's a, it would only take up like, I believe the number was like 2% of the land in Connecticut to do that, whereas fossil fuels takes a lot more land with, with pipelines and power plants and things like that. It's definitely a big mix, and it's just a matter of getting that distributed mix together and having the utilities switch their model from really providing power to just moving power to where it's needed to be.
1: One of the other things, though, I was going to say, getting back to what you were talking about, I've sat in on a few meetings where one of the big things that they're looking to in the future is community microgrids. So you'd have a community area, possibly a church or, you know, a cul-de-sac where you take all of the houses and they put their solar panels in place and they all share off the grid with each other. And I think that that might be
2: something that will be uh, a pretty popular um, item. Yeah, those those are definitely those are definitely great. And the other advantage of those is they're more resilient because if that if the power coming in goes down from a storm or you know an accident or whatever, you still have that microgrid producing power that can be used within it. Right, right. It's definitely Absolutely. more resilient.
0: So everybody knows I'm a union carpenter from Local 326 right here in Wallingford. What I wanted to know is, we do replace gas plants. Do you think that the same jobs will be to transfer right over? We won't lose work.
1: Well, there'll definitely be an adjustment <clears throat> period. There might be some trades that get left out, you know, and they're going to have to find other ways to
2: put their people to work. On, on the switching from gas plants to renewable energy, what I what I like to tell people is, it's a much safer job. Obviously, climbing a windmill's but you're not dealing with explosive gas and you're not dealing with radioactive material or something that, you know, can spill into the water or whatever. Well, I mean, once these, there's really no, there's electrical danger, obviously, and there's, there's physical danger, but there's no chemical exposure that comes with these things that you see in the current jobs. And, you know, I was at one of these hearings where they're talking about approving these power plants and... Some of the union guys got up there and said, we've gone through, you know, 100 hours of training on dealing with these explosive chemicals and, and these dangerous things. And we're really prepared. And I'm like, but you shouldn't have to be prepared. I mean, like you shouldn't be put in that kind of danger. These things are just much safer and much more resilient to, uh, to build and run than the current combustion that we have for energy. And i and i I actually totally agree with you, you know what? you
0: know I work at a nuclear plant, but we, you're right, and I would like to see them replaced, but I mean in connecticut forty five percent of our power comes from millstone, so we would have to have an aggressive plan not to replace it with gas plants like they're doing at Indian Point in new right. York Well that, yeah, we definitely
2: need an aggressive plan i also I, I, that number is thrown around a lot about how forty well, five a
0: couple of years ago yeah, well, so I know
2: it's gone down, but the way they calculate it is kind of strange because. Connecticut or Connecticut is part of the New England power grid mm-hmm. and they all buy power and they all they all buy power from different places mm-hmm. and it's dealt as a regional grid so the way that 45% number comes up is they say okay millstone has produced this much electricity and Connecticut uses this much electricity and if you compare those numbers 45% is what comes from millstone of what Connecticut uses that doesn't mean Connecticut uses all of the power right. coming from millstone right. Lawmakers and people in support of Millstone bring up that number. I, I kind of like to debunk it because it's not really accurate. We do need to replace that power for the New England grid, but like we can pull that power from Massachusetts solar plants. Currently, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Connecticut is a electricity exporter. Um, you know, we we're a net exporter of electricity, so we're producing everything we need and more. Some for Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York, wherever it's going. But, like, you know, all these power plants applications come up, and they say, well, we need this to meet the demand. It's like, but we're exporting power, so there's really no demand there for it. We we're just need local. to convert the current systems to we're a better like, system.
0: We
1: like to have the extra to sell. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Yeah, yes. we like to have the extra to sell, exactly. And we know that this, the site that Millstone is on was zoned for six um, reactors. So there's a huge amount of unused property. That can be used for solar, or wind, or tidal, or tidal because I mean everything's right there, and it, it it was picked for that reason. The water's cold, and the and it and everything's deep right there.
1: And it's windy. You know, as we move away from those from our standard uh, power producing plants, uh, we really need to have a very aggressive retraining process mm-hmm. for the displaced workers because, unfortunately. You're gonna have them from all trades from all backgrounds yes. um, and and they should be you know at least you know good solid middle class jobs that you can still mm-hmm. you know raise a family send them to school and and you know retire with uh, you know some dignity
0: so here was my idea why I wanted the two of you here is because you' are the fir- you two represent the group that is the that were the first progressives in this country labor and conservation right. And we, 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 over the years, we've kind of shied apart because we build gas plants, we build nuclear power plants, and we're afraid about our jobs. Now, I, I've listened to Ben's talk a lot, and, and we can replace it, but we just, I think, we need to team up so that our members who get nervous about their work can understand that they're not going to go away because there's going to be a group of people fighting for them that's not just, not just Dan or me or my agents. Yeah. So that we want to be able to team up that I want to open that door up a little
1: bit and I worry no. about my pipe fitters yes yeah, <laughs> absolutely yeah you know and it shouldn't be antagonistic it should no be a, totally it should, right should not. be a you know common sense approach to how can we make this all work
2: yeah no I to- I totally agree I mean it's we've always been supportive of unions I mean we went up to one of the the rallies they had against the budget cuts that they were going to do that were going to cut teacher jobs and, and, and union jobs and the fair wage and stuff like that. And we were speaking against that because these are the people we need. We need the unions and we, and we need these workers to build the renewable energy that's going to make the transition. These are, these are the people we need. We can't do it without them. I, I don't think that split that you're talking about that definitely did happen. I don't think it was natural. It was... It was the, the large companies who wanted to separate the opposition to exploitation, right. right? like pushing this message out there, they push it out to the workers They say, oh, these, these tree huggers just don't want you to have a job and they don't like, like you and they want you to go out in the woods and live like a bear. Which was never the case. Which I wouldn't be okay with. <laughs> I'd be okay with it for like a week, and then I want to go watch Netflix. But <laughs> in my opinion, I think it was, it was this message that was put out there by forces that wanted to... Divide fl- and conquer. Divide and conquer, exactly, um, for their own purposes, so that you know, they could have an easier time... Um, for it in their business, I always talk to the union guys when we go to these hearings because they're like, "Oh, we need this power plant for jobs." It's like, it's like I want you to have a job, but just remember, wh- who's the last person that fired you? It's this company that wants to build this power plant, and they fired you because they don't want to pay you the, the union wage. Mm-hmm. And and the company will will cozy up to you when they want you to come out and support them, but once you know, once they have what they need. They're going to look to their bottom line, and their bottom line says pay as little as possible. Mm-hmm. So you know we want everyone to have a good job. We want everyone to live a good life, and that includes having clean air, clean water, and a mm-hmm. good job that provides for you. So I mean I don't think there's any difference in the attitudes there. Um, and like I said, we need those people, and we don't want to antagonize them.
0: This is for both. You can answer however you want. Do you got? Do you both feel shortchanged or marginalized by our current legislature, thrown under the bus? I mean, do you really think our legislature right now is sticking up for either conservation or labor? Really? Clean energy or Clean labor? Clean
1: energy or labor? Um, no, I don't believe so. Fortunately, it, it almost seems like we're becoming a little microcosm of what's going on in Washington. You know, nobody wants to cross the aisle to, to make any, you know, moves. And right. It's, it's a shame because we're just, it seems like we're at a stalemate. And the longer we stay there, the worse the state of Connecticut's going to get.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I mean, we're definitely being shortchanged. It's not just our groups. I think it's the people of Connecticut that mm-hmm. are getting shortchanged. It's like I, I've gone to some of the they have the way the laws work for anybody who doesn't know is that, like, you know, they have to bring them through a committee and the committee has to have an open hearing where people can come and talk. So I go up there to talk about some of the things that we support, which was like the shared solar initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, which would allow, you know, things like the community solar you're talking about. I've heard numbers thrown around. I think it's about 40% of homes in Connecticut are not viable for solar because of either trees or the local zoning laws or whatever. But there are places around there that they could go in, and what community solar does is say, all right, you can buy into this solar panels on a school or on a hospital, Mm -hmm. and then you have part of that share, and that takes away from the cost of your energy. So we went up to speak for that. I was there till 9.30. A bunch of people had signed up. There were a bunch of different laws in the same day. The lobbyists get in there first, because that's their job, and the rest of us have to take a day off, or half a day off, or whatever. So they get in there first, and they speak up. And like the legislators have a lot of questions for them. I'm like, oh, how would this affect your business, and blah, blah, blah. And then the citizens get up there, and they're like, thank you for your testimony, go away.
0: Thanks to our local producers and Team Hercules for production support. As told here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As told here, brings community media to where
1: you are.